Amen. Thank you so much, guys, for leading us. If you've got your Bible, I want you to take it and turn with me to 2 Chronicles. I want you to find 2 Chronicles. You can find the Samuels, and then you'll see the Kings, and then you'll see the Chronicles. All right, we're spending time, and we're... Um, I started to say we're learning how to worship. We're relearning how to worship here for a while from Scripture. And I, this is my all-time favorite lesson on worship today. And, and this, this has helped me so much. I'd have given anything if somebody had taught me this as a young believer. I didn't even know this as a young preacher. But the Spirit of God taught me this in latter years. And th this, is so, this has saved my life so many times. So I want to talk to you today about uh, worship in the storm how to worship in the storm. And as we're learning how to worship, but I want you to learn how to worship in the storm because of the value of it. Now, most believers are like the early disciples. We're pretty good at worshiping after the storm. We want to learn how to worship in the storm. Uh, do you remember, look back with me, we won't look at it. Luke chapter four, Jesus put his disciples in a boat. He said, we're going to the other side. They didn't plan on the storm coming up. How many of you are planning on storms coming? They didn't plan on the storm, but the storm came up and it was terrible and they were terrified and thought they were going to die and, and troubled. And uh, they were not worshiping at all. They were dying is what they said, screaming. Well, Jesus calmed the storm. He, he calmed the storm. That taught me something right there. He could stop anything going on in my life with just a word if he wanted to. But what we learn from that is his goal is not for me to live comfortable. It's for me to live great. And sometimes them storms serve their purposes. He calmed the storm. And then at, the Bible said, and they said to themselves, who is this man that can talk to the weather and it listens? And they worshiped him. They were great at worshiping after the storm was over. <laughs> what Jesus was doing, there, I want y'all to learn how to worship during the storm, in the storm. I think this is the premier passage in the Bible on how to worship in the storm. And uh, I love this. This will save your life. This will help you. And, and you say, well, I don't know if I'm going to need it or not. You're going to need it. You're going to need it. Because as we draw closer to the second coming of Jesus, I, I disagree with some of my friends that things are going to get better and better in the earth. I think stressful times will come as we draw closer to the second coming of Jesus. But I'm going to tell you something. Though darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the people, the glory of the Lord is going to be on those who know him. Amen. And this is how we get there. So I want us to look at worship in the storm. Uh, I, I, turn, look with me in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It happened. Just pause right there for a minute. I, I started to entitle this, It Happens. But I was afraid that wouldn't go over too well with some people. But the whole thing is wrapped up in the two words, It Happened. These were the children of God. They were under a time of, they were in a time of great revival and renewal under Jehoshaphat, their king. They honored God. Great things were happening. They were not wrong. They were not in sin. And all of a sudden they were attacked for no reason. And it, it just came out of the blue. And this is what happened. It happened. Uh, the scripture says, let's read it. It happened after this, that the people of Moab, Ammon, others beside them, Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat saying, a great multitude's coming against you from beyond the sea. Uh, Syria, uh, they're in, told where they were in, in Gedi. All right, you got to understand this. Three countries had banded together to come assault them and it, there was no chance. They didn't have the army. They didn't have the manpower. They were, they were fixing to be killed. Their women, their wives and children, they were hopeless. They didn't deserve this. They, did, they weren't in sin. They were just honoring God. And I want to make an announcement. Sometimes you can do everything right and still get in a battle. Because there is a real enemy who hates you, hates God, and hates the fact that you love him. And they just got attacked for no reason. And uh, so this is a, it's not a, it's not a, come on guys, we got to be tough here. Tough wouldn't have been enough here. They were going to get killed either way. They had one hope. And that was in God delivering them. And so I want you to look at the process that they went through here. And dear ones, I want you to memorize this. I want you to learn this so that the next time you get it happens, you get attacked, just do this. And, and I've, I've memorized this. I've, and I've trained myself when bad things happen, just start doing this and see what he did. So this is that, that great passage right here. First thing I want you to see, what, what are you doing terrible things happen? Don't pick up the phone, call your mama. Don't call the preacher. Don't call anybody. 
Look what the Bible said they did. Verse three. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to do what? He called on God. He didn't just say a quick, Lord, help me. He set himself. He said, I'm going to spend time seeking God in this matter to seek the Lord. He proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of the house in Jerusalem and the house of the Lord before the new court. The Bible said that they, demons, I, we have got to change the way we think. And once in a while, I'll hear somebody say this. Well, all we can do now is pray. And, and I don't say anything because I don't be unkind, but my response is, don't bother. And we have been trained because we live in such a prosperous, high-tech society. We've been trained to look everywhere else and then call God when nothing else works. But what does the Bible say they did first? Let's call God first. Let's seek the Lord first. Now, listen to me carefully. They not only sought the Lord first, they sought him only. It wasn't going to be pray and call the bank. Pray and call for help. They said, we'll call God alone. And they sought him alone in this thing with nobody else. <clears throat> Let me teach you one of the greatest lessons you'll ever learn here. The Lord is good. I want you to prop your life up on another verse. First Chronicles 16, 9 says this, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth, looking all over for someone that he might show himself strong in behalf of whose heart is wholly turned toward him. That's one of the greatest lessons you'll ever learn. How many of you believe the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth? How many of you believe that nothing is hidden from the eyes of him with whom we have to do? Do you believe God sees everything? How many of you believe he's looking all over the earth? What's he looking for? Is he looking for somebody messing up so he can get them? Change churches if you've been taught that. He's, he's good. If he were looking for somebody to mess up, would any of us be here? But what's he looking for? The eyes of the Lord, are, he's just looking all over in the earth for somebody that he can do something great for. He can show himself strong for whose heart is what? Holy turned toward him. He's looking for somebody who will say either God will help me or I will die. I, I'm trusting him alone period. He's just looking for somebody to say that and this is what they did. They set their faces to seek the Lord. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you King David. This man, the Bible said Jehoshaphat walked in the ways of his father David. David was the man after God's own heart. God did so much for David. Why? It was, it was, was it because David was sinless? Was it because he was great? His own father said he wouldn't amount to nothing. What was it about David that moved the heart of God so much? I want to give you a hint. Look with me in Psalm 62. You want to see why the Lord blessed David so much and why he put this in the Bible for us to learn from. Psalm 62. You'll find this all through scripture. All through scripture. This, listen, David's a man we need to learn from. And the Lord's got him spread all throughout scripture because he wants to, friends, the Bible is, is given to us to learn how to connect with our father. I love Psalm 62. And the Bible said this in Psalm 62, truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation and salvation here. It in the word get saved. It means total deliverance, help everything. From him comes my salvation. Watch these words. He only only is my rock. Now, don't you notice that again? He said, truly my soul, what? Silently waits for God. Now I've learned through the years, uh, I, have, I have in my line of work, you have to deal with a lot of problems and a lot of difficulties and things happen that you don't want to happen. You, all of us have personal problems. I have problems usually bigger than that because of what I do. Let me tell you what I've learned. When, when problems come, don't talk to anybody. Don't call. I hate meetings. I don't like to have meetings. Meetings muddy the water. I don't want to talk to people. What does it say? My soul silently waits for God. Him alone. Here's what he said. I'm not calling anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. I'll turn to heaven and heaven alone. This, this was his heart. Look at me in verse five. My soul. Now, now he quoted that, but now verse five, he's talking to himself. My soul waits silently for God alone for my hope and expectation is from him. Can you do that? When difficulties hit your family or your life or whatever, can you, can you refrain from talking while you wait on him? 
Can you just say, my help will come from him alone. I'm going to see God do something here. I'm not going to help him. And I'm not going to call anybody else for help. I'm going to wait on him alone. What are the eyes of the Lord looking for? Somebody to do something great for whose heart is holy. Listen, not 90%, holy trusting him. He alone will come through. Have you ever noticed through scripture, all through the Bible, how God would set people up to be in such a position that nobody but him could help them? I mean, nobody could have come through except him. He likes that kind of stuff because he wants to show us himself like that. And this, uh, you need to remember Psalm 62 is a great passage. Verse six, he only is my rock, my salvation. He is my defense. I will not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my, ref, my strength, my refuge is in him. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart with three friends. To your counselor, talk to God about it. What do you say, Nick? What do you, what do you pull out of that passage right there? I'm going to go to God alone and nobody else, and I'm going to trust him to deliver me here. Now, did he live it? Did he live this in practice? You believe he lived this? Let me give you a couple of examples. One of the great ones, everybody knew God had raised him up to be king, but the current king's name was Saul and Saul hated him because Saul knew that's the man God chose right there. And that man will replace me one day. And he was green with envy. So he tried to destroy David. And I want, to, I want to show you one of the great tests of God in his life and your life too. So David's running. He's got a little handful of discontents and they're running. And Saul's got 3,000 soldiers. Why would you take 3,000 soldiers to chase a little band of rebels? All right, they, they met in a place in the, in the hill country of Engedi, And David was hiding there. And if you've if you ever seen a picture of you go there, there are hundreds of caves just in the walls of the mountains everywhere. I mean, catacombs is what it looks like. Hundreds of them. David and his men are hiding in one of these caves in the back of it. If Saul had caught them, they'd have been dead. I mean, as tough as David and his guys were, 40 is no match for 3,000. So Saul's army comes through there and all of a sudden Saul says, stop. I pray this don't offend you, but he wrote it. Saul says, everybody stop. I, I need to go to the bathroom. So they didn't have like rest stops back then. So he stops and the whole army stops and waits. If the king wants to go to the bathroom, you let him go to the bathroom. So he stops. He picks one of those hundreds of caves to go into. Guess which one he picked? God caused him to go in that. The Bible said God caused him to go in that cave. He goes in that cave. David and his men are crouched down in the back. Saul comes in and, and, and uses the restroom right there in front of him. His commander says, God has delivered him into your hand. Kill him. God has delivered him into your hand. And David said, what? Far be it from me to lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. If God wants me to have this kingdom, I'll wait on him. And he took his sword and he cut off a little piece of Saul's robe. Saul got done. He went back out, got on his horse. And David came out and he said, Saul, let it be known. I am not your enemy. If God moves me, he alone will move me. What's that a picture of? And the Bible said the Lord caused Saul to go in there. That was a test to find out. Are you going to reach for it or are you going to let me hand it to you? What did he say in Psalm 62? I wait for God. All he had to do, he could have easily killed him. His advisors were telling him to do something. How many of you know you can talk to people and they'll give you the wrong advice? Listen to God alone. Now, did God give him the throne? In his timing, in his way, why? My eyes are looking throughout the earth to find somebody who will trust me alone and not do it themselves. This was David's life. All through his life, he did this. Let me give you one of the great examples of a man who's trusting God alone and his sole hope is in God. Do you remember when David, as a boy, teenage boy, decided he would attack the most powerful man on earth and fight Goliath? Saul handed him his sword and said, use this sword. Let me, make a, let me tell you something. The king's sword wasn't a, you know, the king didn't get his sword from a military surplus. He had the finest sword man can make. It goes to the king. What did David say? I'm not going to take He laid it. He said, I don't want this sword. I'll go after him with a slingshot. What's that right there? What's that saying? I don't want God plus the best equipment money can buy. I'll trust God alone. And this was all through his life. He said, my hope is in God alone. I'll pray and tell him. I'll trust him. So they gathered together and they sought the Lord. And uh, dear ones, let me, let me tell you, when problems come, 
We don't need to think about it and try to figure it out and call somebody and let's have a meeting and then throw in a prayer too. Let's reach a point where we say, I will trust God alone. I will go into my closet and close my door and talk to my father who sees in secret and let him handle it publicly. Can, do you understand what the Bible's saying here? I'm just looking for somebody who would dare to trust me alone. Somebody who'll wait on me and nobody else. And this, this is the, uh, there's just something about this in his heart. You know, I, I, this is a terrible, I don't know any way to explain this. We've been taught to call him last. He really would like to be everything to us. That's why he said, my name is the Lord, your shepherd, the Lord, your provider, the Lord, your healer, the Lord, your defender, the Lord, your sanctifier. The Lord, and he gave himself all them names trying to communicate. Don't just call on me so you can go to heaven when you die. Let me be everything to you. You know, my, my wife, my, grand, uh, my, my grandfather, my wife's father lives across the pasture from us. And, you know, if she's we've got a window over the sink that's sort of hard to get up there, which we'll use. But if, if she were having trouble closing it and she were to call her father to come over and close that for her, and I'm sitting right there at the counter, I would think, well, I'm, I'm right. why didn't you call me? I'm the one supposed to be taking care of you. Then once God wants to be the one we call for everything. And, and this is where the blessing of God comes in this thing. So the, they said we will focus on him alone. Now, all right, let me teach you something. Let's, let's go back to Second Chronicles. We've decided God will help me in this. Let me give you a great example of this. Uh, some years ago, uh, we were, I was in another church and we were tied to a ministry like we are to living free here, but it was called His Laboring Few. It was a drug rehab camp for men in High Point. And uh, I happened to see a lady at a funeral in Charlotte I was at and she'd, she was a friend of mine when I was young and, and her family was tied to our family. And uh, I asked about her nephew. I said, how's he doing? She said, he, he's on drugs real bad and he's not doing good. And said, we, we're, we're wanting to get him into a rehab center. And she said, I've called him and talked to him. And said it, she said, the name of it is called His Laboring Few. It's up in High Point. I said, that, we're tied to them. I said, they're part of our church. I said, I'll, I'll call Steve. We'll get him in there. She said, don't you call him. She said, I don't want you to get him in there. She said, I'm going to pray. If he's supposed to be in there, I want God to get him in there. I don't want you to help. And, and you know what that is? I will trust in God alone. And I'll wait on him. My soul silently waits on God. And the Lord did get him in there. And he helped him. I mean, I could have done it. But the issue is, I want us to reach a point instead of American Christianity where God is on the side, He becomes everything to us. And, and it's not because He's mad if we don't. It's because fathers love to provide for their children. It's the heart of a father. All right, so we're going to let's trust Him alone. Let me show you the second thing in verse 6. He said this. I want you to watch this. And He said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? My goodness. When problems come, what do we focus on? The problems. What they focus on? How big God was. Dear ones, you, you've probably heard this before. Instead of telling God how big your problems are, won't you tell your problems how big your God is? This is the day and night difference right here. I mean, they were... This was not like uh, we've got a bill due and we can't pay it. This was not like drama in the family. This was my children are fixing to be killed. This was life or death. And what did they do when they got together? Did they start saying, God, they're coming after us. God, what they say? You are great. You are powerful. Nobody can withstand you. This is one of the greatest lessons you'll ever learn is in the midst of any difficulty, instead of focusing on your problems, focus on the greatness of God. And turn your heart toward him and begin to magnify his greatness and, and his word. Let me ask you a question. Does the Bible say this? My son, attend unto your problems. Focus on your problems. Bear down on your problems. Or does it say, my son, attend unto my word. Attend unto my word because my word is life to those who find it in healing. If you're, I, I counsel someone as a counselor. It is almost impossible to help people now who have problems. You know why? We can't get off the problems. 
I'll have people come see me with a problem or whatnot. And, and I'll say, all I want to just give me a little information so we can take off. And they'll just, they'll, they'll just like a dam will break. And then and they said, and, and, we, and, and they just go on and I'll say, okay, okay, let me tell you. And, and then they'll just run and, and, and I'll just say, oh, okay, okay. And, 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 and I think, I, yeah, shut up. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> You, you can't get help from God if you are absolutely terrorized and obsessed with your problems. We need to be obsessed with the greatness of our God instead of the vastness of our problems. These people had a life-threatening problem here, but what was on their mind and heart? Not how big their problem was, how big God was. And that's why you need to get off the telephone and get into his word. When you're going through a tough time, Get that promise book out and look up the promises of the faithfulness of God, the greatness of God to redeem. Don't, don't spend time with Abimelech. It's too late for that. Find the promises and become obsessed with how big he is. Uh, there was a song years ago that said this, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look in his wonderful face and the things of this world will grow strangely dim. Where? Where? not on Facebook, in the light of his glory and grace. And when you've got a big problem going on and you've got a battle, whether it's family, personal, whatever, you need to say, I need to push you to the side for a little bit. And I need to become obsessed with the goodness of God for a little bit. We'll get back to you later. And th this is what they did. They were, just, they were just focused on who he is and how great he was. Number three, this is precious. Look at me in verse eight. They dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name. And you said, to, uh, you said to us, excuse me, verse seven, are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, gave it to the descendants of Abraham and your friend forever? Got it? All right, they said, we're going to trust you alone. They focused on him. And then what did they do? They began to review their personal history with God. They began to talk about what God had done for them in the past. When you got something going on, you look back over your life and you see everything he's done for you. And you begin to, somebody should write a song, should go like this. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. And a lot of times when I'm in a situation that's difficult, and I just like to do this when I'm not in a problem. I just like to look back and see the things he's done for me personally that I knew that was him right there. Dear ones, it, I'm going to simplify. I'm, this might be an oversimplification, but let me tell you what I've learned. He nailed his son to a cross so I could live and I wouldn't think he'd pay my power bill. I mean, he's already given me the best he's got. And I wouldn't think he'd intervene in this problem right here. And they began to recount. Do you remember when you did this for us? You did this for us. You did this for us. We need to, we need to, to, to lock in on our, all of us have a history with God. Go back and look at it. You need to, I think Mr. Blackaby called it reviewing your markers. But you have a history of things God's done for you. And you need to meditate on that and review that and look back at where he's been. Um, that's why the Bible, all this thing evolves around the mind of what we think about. If I can get people's minds off their problems, onto their God and his promises. That's why the Bible talks so much about the mind. And one of my favorite one is Psalm 103 that says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his kindness is to you. What is, where do you forget at or not forget at? Think about all he's done for you. He has forgiven all your iniquities, healed all your diseases, redeemed your life from destruction. He's poured his loving kindness out on you. He has strengthened you. And, it, and what does the Bible say? Instead of thinking about your problems, think about all God has done for you. Meditate on what the Lord has done for you. We need to wrap our lives around Philippians 4, 8. Whatever things are true, noble, pure, beautiful, encouraging, faith building, praiseworthy, stick your mind right there. Meditate on these things, focus on these things. And this was their heart was to put it in there. We used to have a song we sang years ago. It went like this. Think, maybe no life evolves around thinking. As a man thinketh, just tell me what you think about it and I'll tell you where you're going. Listen to what this song said. Think about his love. Think about his goodness. Think about his grace that has brought you through. If there's ever a time when you need to think about his love and his goodness and what he's done for you in the past, it is in the middle of your mess. They're doing all this while the army's coming closer. It's, in, it's worshiping him in the storm 
not in the peace. It's in the storm. And we need to, we need to train ourselves to do this. Number four, we need a promise here. Demons, you can't call on him without a promise. Remember his promise. It's in verse eight. When he said this, they dwell in it and have, and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name saying, and this is what the Lord said, verse nine, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will sit before this tent, stand before this temple and in your presence for your name is in this temple and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. You know where they got that from? The guy who built that temple. And the last thing he said on the day of dedication was, when, when problems or battles, whatever, come against my people, if they will stand in this place and call on my name, I will answer them. Dear when you have a problem, go to God's word and find the promise for that problem. There's a promise in this word for everything you deal with. It doesn't matter. Family, physical, your own personal struggles. And they pulled out the promises of the Lord to them. That's why the Bible said in 1 Peter chapter 1, unto us are giving exceedingly great and precious promises that we might be partakers of God's nature. How do you receive God's goodness? Through the promises. And you, I can't just say, Lord, help me, help me. I've got to find his word on that matter, whatever it is. And it's in there. And that's why we need to find his promises in this thing. And then uh, here's the big one. Are you ready? Watch what they did now in verse 10. Verse 10, they did this. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, whom you'd not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. They turned from them and didn't destroy them. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your land, which you've given to us to inherit. And they told him what the situation was there. Verse 12, our God, will you not judge them? We have no power against this great multitude that's coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you what they do. I can either worry about this or I can give it to God. Demons, to cast your cares upon the Lord is a specific act. You can't just hope he's going to do something. You have to have a set time with every problem. And you know, they, they got there, they praised him, they worshiped him, they prom they trust him. But there came a place where they said, now we're fixing to transfer this problem to you. They've come to throw us out and this is the place where we do this. You need a set place with everything you deal with where you say, you look back in history and say, right there is where I handed it to God and he's got it and I don't have it anymore. That's a simple act of faith that you make. Is that scriptural? Let me quote to you 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your cares upon him because he cares about you. One of the greatest verses you'll ever memorize. You wouldn't bring me your problems if you didn't think I cared about you, would you? But if you know I really love you, you'll let me handle your problems. But what does that verse say in 1 Peter 5, 7? Casting. There has to be a deliberate set point where you cast. I started, I learned years ago to do this. I'd just draw a little line and I'd say, Father, and, I, and you, they named their problem. Here's our problem. And they gave it to him and they said, we can't do anything. And now I'm watching you. And that was a set place. And here's what I learned two years ago. Visuals help a lot in scripture. And I learned when I've got a situation, I go before him and I worship him, get quiet. And there was, listen, we got to get the head racket quiet. We got to get our emotions settled down. The, what are we going to do? The, this is terrible. The emo, get all that stuff quiet. Guess how you do that? Worship God. When you worship God, the head racket will settle down. And you say, Father, here's my problem. Name it. The Bible said, you got to name it. Casting, financial, family, personal. I'm, I got this thing I can't overcome in moment. Whatever it is, name it. And say, in the name of Jesus, I give it to you. And a lot of times I'll just, I'll just do like that right there. I'll just say, I give it to you. Then I step across that line and say, it's not mine anymore. It's done. And I can always point back to that line and say, because you won't take three steps before this, this will come into your head. What are you going to do about your problem? And I'll say, right back there. It's not mine anymore. I forget. I think his brother Hagen I was listening to and he, and he was a traveling evangelist, which that's, that's, uh, that's Greek for your family starves. As a young man, I think they do pretty good now, but he was hungry and his car payment was due and he was worried he didn't have it. And he said, I laid awake for a while worrying about how I'm going to make that car payments due tomorrow. And uh, he said, all of a sudden I said to myself, this is so silly. God saved you. He gave his son for you. Look at the miracles he's worked for. And you're laying here worrying about a car payment. He said, you teach people to cast their cares on the Lord. When are you going to start doing it? He said, and I was just embarrassed and thought, here I am laying worrying about a car payment. 
And he said, I just rolled over and I just said, Father, you don't even have to get out of the bed and do it. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to cast this care on you. And I, and I said, I just cast it on him. And, and he said, I looked back and it was still stuck. He said, it was like that sticky flypaper. It's still stuck right there. And he said, I had to make several runs at it, but I got it over on him. And, and all of a sudden, a piece, I just said, now it's yours. And a piece came and I thanked him and praised him. And he said, I went back to sleep. All of a sudden, I woke up in a moment and something inside of me said, you car payments due tomorrow. You're going to lose your car. What are you going to do? And he said, I just spoke out loud and said, what are you talking about? I don't have car payment. Now you done gone to line. What do you mean you don't have a car payment? Sure I said, no, no, I don't have a car payment to make. He said, I gave that to the Lord about 30 minutes ago and it's his. I don't have it. And if he wants to make it, he can make it. If he don't make it, it's his car. It's not mine anyway. Now that's sort of a simple understanding, but what did they do? They had gathered before God and worshiped him and focused him and they said, we're fixing to give this to you. It has to be a deliberate act. Let's take a minute and look at it. Turn with me to Philippians chapter four. I want you to struggle with Philippians chapter four until it becomes a reality in your life. Don't amen it. Let's practice it. Let's practice it. Philippians chapter four is life changing. When I first read this, I remember just thinking, if, if the Bible is right, right here, something has got to change in the way we do business. Let's start believing the Bible's true. Let's start believing it'll work. I'll never forget the first time I read this. I just remember, I think I remember thinking, when did this get in here? Because I didn't know any preachers that practiced it at the time. But I'm going to tell you something. There are five verses, Philippians 4, 4 through 8, that are life transforming if we'd practice them. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Would that include in the storm? We're talking about worshiping in the storm here. All right. And the, verse 6 says this, be worried for nothing. You may not know how and you may not believe it's possible, but can I just appeal to you right here? What if it did happen? What if you reached a place in life where you never worried again about anything long day of your life? Would you, even if you say, I don't know how to do it. Don't worry about that right now. Why would God write that in there if it's not possible? Is my father taunting me? Is he making fun of me here knowing I can't do it? God tells the truth. First time I read that, I said, that don't seem possible because I've never seen anybody could do it. But if you put it in here, it's got to be true. Now show me how. And there's a, there's a place in life where you can reach where you don't worry about anything. Now, I had a fellow tell me one time, said, well, that was written back when life was easy. They didn't know what life would be like today. <laughs> I want to make an announcement. He knows the beginning from the end and the end back. He knew exactly. Now, my wife and I, we talk a lot. We was born, we should have been born in the 1930s. We should, let me tell you something. Every one of us right here and everybody watching, you were born for such a time as this. He determined your day and your boundary. You're supposed to be here right now. He knew the problems would be in your life. He knew what the culture would be like. And what do you say right there? You can live a completely worry-free life. Be worried for nothing, but in what? Let's read it, verse six. Be worried for nothing, but in does everything mean everything? Power bills, misunderstandings, teenage drama, teenage drama, loss of job, viruses. Does everything mean everything? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, what does it say? You got to tell it to him, guys. Let your request be made known to God. Is that the literal transfer of your particular need over to him? Now, what's the spirit we do it in, though? With thanksgiving. God, you know how bad it is done. And I've heard people that really it was sort of like a whine slash prayer. Does it, don't whine slash prayer with thanksgiving. So how, how do I like, Lord, my child is terrible. You know the trouble my child is in. Thank you. No, don't, not for everything. Let me show you. When you're a child, there's no greater act of faith than when something's going on difficult and you found the promise. Say, for instance, a child is in a bad place and I've been a child's in a bad place and you're looking at that and it emotionally grips you and you stand up before God and instead of saying, Lord, it's so bad, you stand up and you say, I bring this to you and I praise you and thank you that all my children will be taught of the Lord and great will be the peace of my children. There's no greater act of faith than thanking him for the promise before you see the answer. 
and you take it to him in everything. Do you know what everything mean? Well, it's the only way you can live a life completely worry-free. Take every burden of your life, give it to him with thanksgiving. And one of the greatest promises you'll ever read is in verse seven. I hadn't reached this place in my life yet all the time, but I'm going to get there. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There is a place where the presence and peace of God will surround you to where worry just cannot get to you. Fear can't get to you either because you can't have peace where there's worry or fear. Now now you take those four verses and then throw in verse eight for good measure because that's part of it too. Get you thinking right. Could you imagine what life would be like if if that would happen in our lives? Do you know how that would transform our lives if we reached a place of such peace, to where we were never afraid, we were never worried. And literally everything that came to us, we just said, well, that's his, here, this is yours, here, this is yours. Thank you for handing it here, this is yours. And does, does everything mean the little stuff too? Here, this is yours too. I mean everything. And then could you imagine the joy and the freedom of life if everything were cast on him? That's why it says casting all. And this is exactly what they did. And, uh, in Second Chronicles. I want you to turn back with me to Second Chronicles. Let's finish this. This is, this is just a different way to handle whatever. You haven't seen the big parts yet. Here's the good part. Now, I do want to say this. I love verse 12 where it says this. Verse 12 says, Our God, will you not judge for them? Watch these words. We have no power. You need to live like that. What, what's it called when... Uh, there was, don't, don't say, Lord, help us. That means you can handle some, he'll handle the other. I want you to stand up and say, I have no power against this. I dare you to stand up and tell God you have no power against the sin you struggle with. I dare you to tell him, I am so sick of this being in me, but there's nothing I can do about it. Tell him, I have no power against this. I was talking with a fellow the other day and he was going through the AAE program and he said, you know the first thing they ask you in AA? I said, yes, sir, I sure do. I said, have you done it? He said, I've done it. What's the first thing, does anybody know what's the first thing they ask you to do? Admit you are powerless against your problem. They stood up and said, we have no power. We can't stop this. You just need to stand up and tell him, I don't have anything to help you with. Nothing. You said, boy, that sounds weak. What's the Bible call it? Humility. Humility. Humility is not when you grovel like a loser and impress folks with what a loser you are. That's inverted pride. Humility. How many of you believe that David was a humble man? He said it over and over. Here's how it sounded. I am poor and needy. I am poor and he said that over and over. I am. He wasn't poor and needy. Man that can kill a lion with his own hands. He's the most powerful ruler in the world. But his attitude of himself was, I, I can't. I'm poor and needy. If you don't help me, I won't be helped. And that was their attitude that was total dependence, just a total dependence on him. And, and then to honor them and say, we're, we're just, we have no power against this great verse, verse 12. And I love this right here. Watch this. Let's read this. We have no power against this great multitude that's coming. Watch these words. Nor do we know what to do. God. That's why I have no business being a pastor, really. I don't mind the preaching, but when I'm off this pulpit, I'm clueless. People will call and say they'd like to meet with you. And I say, why? I don't know what to do. You say, weren't you trained? Yeah, those answers don't work. Not working for anybody else. I would love to see us get to the point where instead of talking, we just say, I don't know what to do. I just don't have anything to tell anybody. All my hope is in him. And if he don't come through, I'm sunk. We need to tell him I am powerless. I don't know what to do. But what's the third thing they said in that verse? but I'm waiting on you. My eyes are on you. That's why we're in a meeting one day. The old sense that I was born for meetings, we're in a meeting one day. I used to think on my tombstone, I would write, he who believes in me will never die. I think I'm all right. He will never be in a meeting again. I think that's what I'm going to put on my tombstone there. We're in a meeting one day and there was, it was heated and this one was saying this and saying that. Finally, Lily looked at me, she said, you're not saying anything. I thought, that's a virtue. This, I don't have anything to say. Do as I've learned in my old age, don't get in there and bicker. Don't fuss. And whatever you do, do not knock around in your head and try to find the answer because it ain't there. And the answer you come up with is not going to work. I don't need to hear people. I need to hear God. Let me tell you, the last person I want to hear from. I'm serious. Me. I had a lady say one time, I don't think you care what I think. I said, I really don't. And I went on to explain, 
I don't care what I think. I want to know what God thinks. Why would I look to me or you when he is the great I am? You know what they said? They said, we, we don't know what to do. We don't have any power. We're waiting on you. And there's no sense us talking or me thinking till you speak. My eyes are on you. This is such a great place to live right here where your eyes are fixed on him forever like that and they're permanent on him. The verse 12 is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. It's just wonderful. All righty, watch what happens here. Here's the good part. Verse 13, all of Judah, their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. God, we need to learn to do this. They, they, they looked to him, they recounted his promise and then what did they do? Everybody just stood quietly and waited. We have got to learn in this busy age to wait on the Lord. We've got to learn to be quiet and wait. He very seldom answers me immediately. He very seldom answers me the same day. I've learned when I need, especially when I need wisdom, I've learned get quiet, get alone, ask him for it, and then go on about your business. And many times it'll be the next day or the day after that when all of a sudden he'll speak. But when I ask him for something, I don't stand there and go and stretch my ear toward heaven. He heard me. He will answer me. And I go on about my business and I'm waiting. And when he gets ready to answer, he'll answer. There's so much about waiting on the Lord in the Bible. And in this society we live in, it is so contrary to waiting because we, we're, we're proud that we're multitaskers. There's no such thing. The brain can't jump like that. Did you notice when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside and got quiet, and then he spoke to him. And as we have to be a people who we just decide I'm going to wait on him. And when he gets ready to speak, he will. And we take time like that. And they were going to honor him in this thing and just sit tight. Now, finally, watch what happens. All right, do you see everything they did? All right, let's make the application. Verse 15 and uh, verse 14. Then, then, notice the word then, circle the word then. This is the great then. The spirit of the Lord came upon one of the prophets. Verse 15, he said, listen, all, of, all, all you of Judah and you inhabitants. Can I just pause and say this? That's what I want to hear right there. I don't want to hear the experts. I don't want to hear me. I don't want to hear you. I want God to speak. I want to hear what he's got to say about this. And when they did that, he spoke and he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, you too, King Jehoshaphat. Thus said the Lord, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this great multitude. The battle is not yours, but God's. I may have heard that. The battle belongs to the Lord. Finally, after they did what they did, God spoke and said, you go home, go to sleep. I'll take care of this thing. That's what I want to hear right there. I want to hear that he's going to handle this problem. He went on to say this, tomorrow go down against them. They'll surely come up by the ascent of Ziz. You'll find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jerel. Watch verse 17. You will not need to fight in this battle. That's what I want to hear right there. When I have problems to deal with, I want to, I want to hear God say, step aside, son. You, you go sit down, you go fishing, you go do what you want to do. I'm in charge now. I'm going to handle this. There's never a sweeter word from heaven than when God touches your heart and says, I got this, you step aside. And that's what he said to him. This is not your problem anymore. This is my problem. But dear ones, they did need to do something, didn't they? What'd they have to do? Look in verse 17. You will not need to fight in this battle. Look at these two words, position yourself. Where do you position yourself when you're having troubles? Where do you position yourself in the storm? Now he told him, you do have to position yourself. And I'm just going to tell you what he said. He said, you go out tomorrow. And he said, you, you plant people to worship me. Let's read it. This is sort of weird here. Position yourselves, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. Do not fear. Don't be dismayed. The Lord is with you. Verse 18, Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all of Judah and they worshiped the Lord. Then the Levites of the children and, and whatever, they stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. Wait a minute. This dread army is getting closer and closer. And what are they doing? They're singing the praises of God in the middle of this mess. Verse 20. So they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. They went out. Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, O Judah, you inhabitants. Believe the Lord your God. He will establish You'll be established. Believe his prophets, you shall prosper. Dear ones, believe and you will prosper. Verse 21, when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord. 
and who should praise the beauty of holiness. And they went out before their army. And here's the song they sang. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Is that crazy or what? Is this what you'd use against a warring army? You gonna stand and sing to them? What's God saying to me and you right here? I'll take care of this, but you have to position yourself. What position did they take? Worship. Worship and praise was the position they assumed. Demons, if you want him to take over that great then, you have got to learn to assume the position of worship when you're in the middle of a mess. You've got to start praising God and worshiping him and celebrating his goodness in the middle of a mess. Position yourself. All right. <clears throat> now, I'm going to lay it out here. What's your position when problems come? You can't take one or two positions, can you? You're either going to take the position of worry or you're going to take the position of worship. Worry is the position of unbelief. Worship is the position of faith. And the Bible so, this is the, this, this is life or death here. Can you see that the, the then only came after they did this? He said, listen, this is not your problem. I'm going to handle it. You just start worshiping me and praising me for the answer. You just start giving, quit thinking, get off the phone and you just start thanking me for my goodness. And you start praising me. And they begin to do it. They begin to worship God and praise him and magnify him. One of the greatest lessons God ever taught me about church life or anything else, which is so contrary to what's being taught today. I learned this years ago in Exodus 17, where these same people were traveling. They were attacked by the Amalekites. And Moses said to his partner, he said, you go fight tomorrow. I'm going to go up on the mountain before God. Do y'all remember this? Before God, he said, you go fight. And Moses went on the top of the mountain. You remember what happened? He lifted his hands before the Lord with the rod of God. And he began to pray and worship God. And the Bible said when he raised his hands, God got involved and began to crush his enemies. But listen to this. When he put his hands down, what happened? I, I, I struggled with that for a long time because I knew he was teaching me something. And I said, are you telling me that you getting involved in my life has to do with where my hands are? He said, son, did you not just read it? Do you not believe my word? Demons, our God is a God of faith. I can't handle it, but there's got to be an act of faith on my part somehow. For him to get involved, there's got to be faith on my part. What's the act of faith? It's an act of worship and intercession and praise before God. And you know, he had his two helpers up there. I used to think they were Ben and her. It's actually Aaron and her were up there with him. And Aaron and her, they, they saw this thing and they figured it out. He said, you get that arm. I'm going to get this arm. They grabbed his arms and they held him up because they were weary. They held his hands up. Listen to what the Bible said. As long as his hands were up, Israel crushed their enemies at the setting of the sun. You know what he taught me right there? You don't need church growth experts. You don't need to have meetings. You don't need to bring in fireworks. And that's for me personally. Whatever need, he said, you just get alone, you get your hands up in front of me and I will intercede and do the work for you. But if you ever put your hands down and you stop worshiping me and believing in me and praying to me, you will make me stop working in your life. Is that a tremendous thought or what? Then was whining is not worship. All right, are you ready for me to help you here? You got to say you're ready because this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt. Oh God, oh God. That's not worship. It's terrible. And you know, we were, I was throwing up green stuff. That's not worship. It's so terrible, preachers. That's not worship. That's, no, that's not faith. That's not prayer. That's whining. I don't care if you close your eyes. It's still, that's whining with your eyes closed. I, listen, I'm, I'm giving you a lifesaver today. God's given you a lifesaver today. I have learned through experience. You can whine all you want to. He loves you, but his hands are tied. Until you do like Moses and like these people, lift your hands and say, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever, whether you feel like it or not. Amen. I got to say that again, especially when you don't feel like it. Only at this place right here is when the Lord intervenes. Only when we reach the place to where we can say, be still, O my soul, silence, quit whining. My help comes from the Lord. And praise him before in the middle of the mess, in the storm. And they begin to worship him like that and honor him. I'm gonna say it again. I have trained myself and I have experimented with this to see if it would work. And how many times as a young man, a young minister, did God just not help me? He didn't help me. And I thought, well, do you not care? Is your word not true? 
And looking back, you know why he didn't help me? Because I was doing what everybody else was doing. Just meeting and talking and whining and worrying and worrying and worrying and, and calling the bank and calling for... It's not that he didn't love me. There was he. It's done a certain way. And after I trained myself to do this, I began to see God intervene in situations. And, and that's the point now where I just say, when everybody's hysterical, I just say, it'll just be a matter of time. Just sit tight. I'll handle this. It's all right. The battle will always be there. But I have, I have it's almost, I mean, it's like, it's just like phone rings. I've learned. It's just, it becomes, worry is a natural reflex. That's why we have to work to replace it with worship. And you just automatically just when I'm now when when a problem comes, difficulty comes. And, and here's the greatest battle you ever face. When you yourself are failing, when you disappoint yourself and you think, I thought I got over that a long time ago. And everything inside of you wants to drop your head. Let me tell you what I've learned. Great is the Lord. And greatly to be praised. He loves me so much that even in my failure and sin, I worship my way back to him. Let me give you a great example of this. I have a friend named Ken Helzer. We visited him one day years ago. His son, Jonathan's a, a musician with Bethel. We're sitting at the table, picnic table talking one day. And John was just a young man at the time, 1920, something like that. And we're sitting there talking. His phone rings. I said, well, answer. He said, what's Jonathan? Answered. And he said, yes, sir. Yeah, what's going on, son? Oh, I sure will. I got bronze right here. We'll, we'll pray right now. He called his daddy from Lowe's, the boys' Lowe's, the home improvement store. He called his daddy from Lowe's and he said, Daddy, I need your help. So what is it, son? He said, I don't know why, but this, Lowe's is full of good-looking girls right now. Why do girls go to Lowe's? And he said, Daddy said, I, I'm lusting after these girls in Lowe's. I, I don't know why they're here. And I'm just lusting after all these girls. I just, I want you to pray for me. I mean, if you used to call your daddy and tell him that. <laughs> I remember just laughing. I thought, what kind of boy calls his daddy and tells him I'm lusting after everything that's walking? Help me. You know what kind of boy does that? One who knows what his father's like. And Ken said, oh, sure, I got him right here. We'll, we'll pray right now. He acted like it happened every day. You know, that's called life. You know what boys normally do when they're lusting? They turn away from their dads. Dear ones, God is our source. Call on me. I will answer you. And real faith is even when you're struggling, it's, everything's falling apart. You just learned immediately. I'm coming to you. I, I don't want to hear about that. I don't want to hear about the problem. I don't want to focus on that. I'm calling on you. And you just immediately turn your heart toward him. I, I, want you to, I want you to see this work a time or two so you can go. Yeah. yeah. He, he's more than a savior. He's a deliverer. He's a, he is a very, pre, somebody should write this down. He's a very present help in trouble. I, 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 that's a saying I heard somewhere. He is a very present help in trouble, but why didn't he help? What's this written for? You've got to call on him. And it's in worship, not in whining. You call on him. All right, let's see the last one here. They positioned themselves and worshiped. Let's see the great then. Look with me. Uh, I mean, the great when. Verse 22. Now, when, when, we're going to circle the word when. When they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who'd come against Judah, they were defeated. And you go on and read, they turned against each other and killed each other. You're facing this impossible situation. Listen, listen to me, dear ones. You don't even know how it could work out. I mean, you don't see any way this can work out. And when they began to worship and praise God, God got involved. See if you see something in scripture right there. When did God get involved? What's the, what's the great when there? When did he get involved? when they began to worship. There was, we have totally underestimated this worship thing. We, we just thought it was a few songs to warm the service up, or we thought it was fun to listen to this kind of music instead of Jack the Ripper music. We have totally misunderstood the purpose of worship scripturally. Worship is to crush your enemies. Worship is to clear the path for you. Worship is to bring God into your life. And I want you to, if you didn't hear any other word today, look at the word when. 
When they began to do this, God began to do that. And when did the miracle transpire? They weren't going to worship after it was over. They were worshiping before the miracle came. And they began to praise him and bless him. And all of heaven was just released into their lives. And, and that's when he took over. That's when it happened right there. And uh, let me show you a little something else. You said, well, boy, they got out with their lives. If we'll learn to worship, you'll do more than escape the mess. Read this with me. Verse uh, 24. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude. There were the dead bodies falling on the earth. Nobody escaped. Not one escaped. Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil. They found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies, precious jewelry. You can go on to read it. It took them three days to collect all their valuables. They just went around and took everything the enemy had from them. Do you remember the great revival of the 90s down here in Florida in Pensacola? A guy named Lyndall Cooley wrote a great song, went like this. I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. They, they not only didn't get killed, they got everything the enemy had out of that thing. It took them three days to haul it home. All because they did what? They did the one thing. They just began to worship and praise God. They positioned their lives in worship. And God not only crushed their enemies, he gave them everything. How would you like to have back what your enemies took away from you? I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. They got back everything. It, could you imagine three? I don't understand this. They spent three days working all day long just hauling off the jewelry. I mean, that just tells me, that's just big right there. What do we always do after this? Let's look at one last thing they did. Look with me in verse 26. And the fourth day as they assembled in the valley of Berkai, for there they blessed the Lord. What do you always do after God's done something great for you? Go back and have a Thanksgiving service. They came back, they said, all right, look, God has delivered us from our enemies. He's given us all this extra wealth out of the, we thought we were going to get killed and we came out with more wealth. He said, now let's have a Thanksgiving service. And they praised him and thanked him for what he'd done and his kindness to them. Here's my question. Why is this in the Bible? This is the weirdest thing to see. Worship does not make sense. Can I get a witness? Oh, don't be spiritual to me. Worship doesn't make sense. I mean, it's fine to worship like we've all come to church this morning. We're all, we've all had our baths. We're all clean and everybody's in here and we're tidy and all that. So it's time to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's worshiping after the storm. Worship in the storm. Everything inside of you will cry out. This is stupid. I don't feel like worshiping right now. I don't have time for this mess right now. Everything inside of you is going to cry out against worship. This word's going to cry out for worship. And the greatest test of faith you'll ever make is when you, you don't want to hear that stuff right now. You say, I, I love to pray this prayer a lot of times. Every voice silent. When I'm praying for my nation, I, we've all got things in our head about our nation. And when I'm praying for my nation, I just begin by saying, every voice silent except your voice. I don't want to hear anybody's opinions. Every problem silent, you speak. And you worship God. Demons, learn to worship Him in the middle of the storm. What does the Bible teach us right here? All righty. Here's my last announcement. Two things you need to know. Number one, things happen. How many would agree that things happen? Is anybody here like me, you, you're a little tired of things happening? And uh, they said, well, Brother Brown, I, I just, I want that life where you don't have stuff like that happening. There's only one way to have a life where nothing happens. Six guys going to be shoving you in the back of a Cadillac station wagon. When you reach that point, stuff will quit happening. I, I found this. If the Bible's true and our enemies, what the Bible says he is, the harder you seek God, the better life gets, the more things will happen. So be it. Now here's the, here's the, you say, yeah, Brother Brown, stuff happens, stuff happens. Wait a minute, quit, don't blink your eyes. Let me tell you what I learned from this book. God happens. That's, you know, granted stuff happened. They got attacked. But what happened after stuff happened? God happened. And you notice they didn't call their friends. Uh, they didn't call for air support. They worshiped God and God happened. I am so weary of seeing what people can do. I want to see what God can do. I want to see God handle my problems and your problems. I want people to live their lives knowing that was him right there. That, you know, we called on him. He didn't answer. So we called the bank and they took care of it. <laughs> and I'm, I, I'm going to heaven either way, but I want to see God. 
Worship is the avenue to see God intervene in our problems like that. Let's practice. Lord Jesus, we love you and praise you and thank you. I pray in Jesus' name that we will just hear your word and receive your word this morning that is so clear that even though things happen, God happens. And I want to praise you and bless you again and stand before you. We we as a people join our hearts together to praise you and thank you this morning. Today, I'm so grateful that the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the earth. Your, Your word didn't say the eyes of the Lord used to run. Your word says the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the earth. You're looking all over to show yourself strong in behalf of those who will trust you with all their hearts. I pray for every person in this room, everybody watching, that we'll come to that place to where I'm going to go out in this battle with a slingshot. Either God will come through or I will die. I trust you alone. And I stand here and praise you and bless you and thank you. I don't have to feel you. I don't have to see my family change yet. I don't have to see my health change yet. I don't have to see the situation get better. I'm going to worship you before I see anything. I'm going to praise you in the storm instead of after the storm. And we will, we will just turn our hearts to say, God be praised. Your word teaches me so clearly that you respond after we worship you instead of us worshiping after you act. Thank you for being in this room. Thank you for hearing my prayer right now. Thank you for hearing our hearts right now. We want to be a people who want to see that was him right there. That was God right there. And we promise you we'll come back and have a great Thanksgiving service to worship you and praise you and enjoy you because of your goodness. Thank you for the kindness of the Lord in our lives. In his blessed name I pray, amen and amen.